0: This is QD video brought to you by RoomNow.live, the next best meeting in rheumatology. Today's lesson is on psoriatic arthritis and an elevated creatinine. Interesting combination. 36 year old Indian male with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis going on now for mm, almost 10 years is psoriasis. Psoriatic arthritis, maybe six years and he's been on um, mostly Humira or Adalimumab during this time. He started out, was treated with some other uh, agents, including, um, uh, I believe, a, bl- a brief trial with methotrexate and uh, maybe even etanercept, and he's been on adalumab, uh 40 milligrams every other week religiously, going on now for five or six years. Really well controlled at one point, had, um, Elevated LFTs, he lost weight, stopped taking non-steroidals, did really well, those mildly elevated LFTs went away. He's always been normotensive and always had a normal creatinine. Um, normotensive meaning he's actually had high blood pressure, taking a low dose of Losartan at 50 milligrams once a day, fairly well controlled. Uh, at this visit, he has uh, a normal exam, no active skin disease, um, no swollen, no tender joints taking his uh, adalimumab TNF inhibitor religiously, and all of a sudden, boom, his creatinine is 1.44. Previously been 0.9, 1.0, now it's jumped up to 1.44, and that's only in the last three months. So the question is why? Well, he does have high blood pressure, and today's blood pressure is 143 over 92, Um, and he swears that that's unusual for him. His last visit with us, it was 140 over 85. All the other visits before that were 120 over 70, something like that. So um, there's no good reason why his blood pressure would be up and then maybe that's the cause of why he has an elevated creatinine. Uh, His weight has remained stable and he's on no other drugs. He does not take nonsteroidals and has no other risk factors other than his psoriatic disease. Um, Now you could go looking for, you know, Other forms of renal disease and do a renal ultrasound and CT abdomen. But I think at this point, let's just repeat the creatinine and see what it is. And that's what we did today. But I think it bears uh, discussion on what the possibilities could be. He could have a totally new condition like amyloidosis or something like that. But I really think this is going to be a sporadic finding and we'll see where this goes. But I think that begs the question is there an association between renal dysfunction and? psoriatic disease, skin disease and psoriatic arthritis. Well, there are reports of both RA patients and psoriatic patients having a higher risk of CKD irrespective of the drugs they take, mainly irrespective of use of nonsteroidals. A recent report about six months ago showed that there was about a 30% increased risk of CKD in patients with psoriasis. Uh, And it's not clear that it's related to the severity of the disease. So maybe you're thinking they have a lot of severe disease, a lot of skin turnover. They have, you know, they might have hyperuricemia, and hyperuricemia might contribute to their renal disease. Well, that's none of that's in play here, but I do think you need to worry about um, a creatinine of 1.44 in a young man who should not have a creatinine of 1.44, but does have psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis. Could a TNF inhibitor be at a, 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 a cause or? A factor here, I can see no reason why it would be. Anyway, what do you think of a case like this and how would you manage it? We're just gonna re- we repeat it, tell him to monitor his blood pressure at home. We'll see what it comes back next uh, next few days. Um, I'm pretty sure it'll be normal. If not, then he'll get a bigger workup, including probably starting with a renal ultrasound. That's it for today. Tune into the next QD video. This is QD video brought to you by Room Now Live the connected digital meeting it's all about networking and interacting and that's how we're going to measure education at this meeting it's really going to be novel check it out today's lesson today's case is about a 14 year old who became a 23 year old all the while having enthesitis related arthritis this interesting young gal presented to me at age 14 with bilateral heel pain she had a year of pain and dysfunction she was an athlete she was actually sort of a state level world-class kind of athlete trying to get a college scholarship uh, and uh, because of her enthesitis in her heels she was unable to uh, perform and her future was in jeopardy. Uh, So she came and of course we did some testing and HLA-B27 was positive. Um, She had already tried a few non-steroidals. She was put on a TNF inhibitor and boom, her life changed dramatically. You know, she'd been called plantar fasciitis. She had had some low back pain, but she had no other features of a spondyloarthritis um and related conditions she had no iritis no gi no skin uh, her back was back pain kind of inflammatory but not truly inflammatory and never developed over the many years i followed her sacroiliitis um and of course her heel pain which was largely achilles tendonitis that and with some plantar fasciitis thrown in uh, was dramatically responsive to tnf inhibition um, she resumed her athletic career got a college scholarship, moved away, came to see me every six months. And I've been following her and she's now 23 years old. She's a wonderful young woman. She's in business. Uh, She's completed her education. She continues to take um, sort of a half dose. She spaced out her dosing on her TNF inhibitor to take it um, twice as infrequently. You do the math. But she's doing really, really well, not needing nonsteroidals. Um, had a little back pain recently i did a recheck of her back x-rays and they were normal and she has no sacred leitis. and again she's never had eye disease um and really might have had some swollen ankles to begin with but honestly arthritis synovitis has not been a part of her picture it's been largely anthocytis so this subset as we know it, it's the jia subset has been reclassified several times this inc- this is now called era or um, not early rheumatoid arthritis but instead enthesitis-related arthritis uh, occurring in a pediatric uh, population. They like to present with um, enthesopathy. They may have oligoarthritis uh, or polyarthritis. They tend to be older in that 9 to 16 age group. Um, they um, can get back pain, inflammatory back pain. They seldom have sacralitis, but they could have sacroiliitis. And this subset could make up as much as 15 to 20% of children presenting with arthritis uh, before the age of 16. Uh, and guess what? It's can, can can continue. Twice this young woman has discontinued her TNF inhibitor only to have her heel pain return. So we'll continue to test that over time. Uh, she seems to do well again on half dosing uh, of her TNF inhibitor without any side effects or risks. Uh, and again, she's now childbearing potential so we'll have to discuss that with her um, at each visit coming up. But. Again, the uh, outcome of these young people can be really, really good with TNF inhibitors and possibly with other agents like the IL 17 inhibitors as well, should they be needed. So, interesting case. Uh, tune in to QD Video for more like this. Welcome to QD Video, brought to you by Room Now Live. Hi, I'm Jack Kush from Room Now. Today's case is entitled the non traumatic hemarthrosis. This is a 73-year-old white female who presented with right knee swelling um, and recurrent hemarthrosis. Her story started about, I wanna say now, four weeks ago. She woke up with acute onset of right knee swelling, couldn't stand on it, couldn't walk on it. She wasn't sure if it was red or warm. She went to her orthopedist. The orthopedist drew out fluid Uh, and found a lot of blood. How much, I don't know, but like a few cupfuls. Um, Because of that, he did not inject it. He gave her a nonsteroidal, sent her home. She returned two weeks later, again, with a recurrent uh, effusion, in this case, a bloody effusion, uh, and sent it off for culture, unclear about what else he did, um, tried her on nonsteroidals, and now she's seeing me after having consulted with her primary care doctor. No history of trauma, no history of athletics, no history of potential industry. She has no background of arthritis or problems in that knee, no prior surgeries, no prior um, history of bleeding. So what's the deal? Well, an x-ray was supposedly fairly unremarkable. I think the money lies in the MR results. And the MR results showed that she had a complex tear of the lateral meniscus, both the anterior and posterior horns. Uh, A lot of, you know, sort of fuzzy stuff described that doesn't mean anything. No displaced fragments. However, mild reactive edema seen in the tibial plateau adjacent to the insertion of the posterior cruciate ligament. I think that's where the money is. Question is, could the meniscus torn, as it is, cause this amount of bleeding? Or is this due to that insertion point of the posterior cruciate on the tibial plateau that's the site of bleeding and recurrent bleeding? So again, the, the issue at hand here is what's the differential diagnosis of hemarthrosis and how do you manage it? Uh, in this case, you know most cases of hemarthrosis are going to be in young people, going to be related to sports injuries, uh, and you know uh, in my experience, an acute onset hemarthrosis in someone who's young and athletic is going to be due to um, a uh, anterior cruciate ligament tear, sometimes a posterior cruciate, cruciate ligament tear rarely due to um, a meniscal tear, although that is, in fact, possible. Other cases I've seen uh, in older people included um, chondral, osteochondral, tibial plateau fractures. The differential diagnosis includes, in getting young people, patellar dislocations, um, uh, hemarthroses from neuropathic joints, uh, pigmented villanodular synovitis, synovial tumors, uh, rarely uh, scurvy, and of course, people with bleeding disorders such as hemophilia and even sickle cell. So that's sort of a wide differential diagnosis and and I think what we're going to do here is send the patient to the orthopedist with that MRI and see how he wants to proceed. Question is, do you do arthroscopy in people who have recurrent hemoarthrosis? Uh, Generally, you don't have to. Conservative management is the way to go. The question here is, did she fracture her tibial plateau? Did she damage her posterior Cruciate at the point of insertion, and uh, again, management of that is the problem. We're going to look, of course, for evidence of, uh, of other diseases that might contribute here, um, mainly inflammatory diseases. Scurvy is something you could look for. Uh, check her PT, INR, and PTT to see if she has some sort of bleeding test. Look to see if she has, uh, you know, paraprotonemia, I guess, uh, with an SPEP. But honestly, the real money here is um in in looking at uh, getting the orthopedist opinion so we're going to send this to an orthopedist in our area who does bloody knees if i was from the uk and i said send them to the bloody orthopedist bloody knee orthopedist you'd think well i don't know what you mean is that someone who's anyway you get what i'm saying i think um interesting case and i think that uh, she's going to be best managed by an orthopedist who's used to seeing such trauma uh and and hemarthrosis but also someone who has a non-traumatic hemoarthrosis. I guess there's always a possibility that um, this could be a, a pathologic fracture, and this could be due to a tumor, malignancy, etc. But that will all be worked up in time. Um, check out roomnow.live. We have fabulous faculty. We're gonna post the faculty this week. Just in the rheumatoid arthritis session, we have Weinblatt on methotrexate. Um, Mike um, Hollers on preclinical RA, and John O'Shea, the guy who discovered Jack, is gonna talk about JAK inhibitors. And then you get to talk to them, uh, all of them, in a panel discussion for 30 minutes at the end of their short presentations. It's gonna be a cool meeting. Check out more QD videos. This is QD video brought to you by RoomNow.live, a great meeting to be held in Fort Worth. If you've never been to Fort Worth, it's one of those cities in the united states that truly has its own kind of special feel it's kind of texan it's kind of cosmopolitan it's got like 130 things to do from downtown at the worthington hotel check it out roomnow.live today's case is an interesting one in that it's a 74 year old uh woman who presents because she has a positive ana and has aches and pains the usual consult i thought this was going to be an easy you know usual ANA consult. Turns out there's a little bit more to it than that. She has a history of some back pain, some head trauma. Um, she had an MI, an MI in cabbage a number of years ago. She's had a hip replacement. And she doesn't sleep all that great. Um, but it turns out that our, about two months ago, she had bilateral aching in her shoulders and couldn't move them. And then while that got a little bit better uh, for Tylenol, um, It got worse again, and then she started complaining of a pain in her hand. She went to her PCP, they gave her a Medrol dose pack. She did better. Her lab showed that she had a set rate of 31. She was negative for rheumatoid factor and CCP, but her ANA was positive at 1 to 1280 in a nuclear pattern. And that's like as high as they go. It was greater than 1 to 1280 in a nuclear pattern. Um, she had some wrist stiffness and swelling that lasted two weeks over the holidays. And now we're about two weeks later and she says her wrists are better. She has some aching here and, and pains here and there in her wrist and her big, in her thumb in a few fingers and sometimes her neck. She doesn't sleep all that well. She's got no history of rainouts. She has no history of renal disease. She has no dysphagia, no signs of crest or limited systemic sclerosis. She has no cutaneous features of telangiectasia or sclerodactyly, uh, and she just has these aches and pains and a really high nuclear pattern ANA. So what's the deal? What do you do? You know, if this was a centromeric pattern in a high titer, you thought, well, maybe she could have something else. Maybe this is from thyroiditis. Um, Maybe she has primary biliary cirrhosis. Maybe she's going to develop crests. Well, the exam is totally normal in her. Nail fold capillaroscopy is normal um her skin findings are zero she has a few DIPs suggestive of osteoarthritis she has cmc1 that's a little tender but again this is not a centromeric pattern it's a nuclear pattern we know that nuclear patterns are most commonly seen in patients with diffuse systemic sclerosis again the systemic variety uh and also seen in patients with lupus after that the list gets really small and really rare I mean, I even looked this up, and I really couldn't find a lot else going on. You know, sometimes hepatitis, sometimes cancer, uh, and no specific cancer has been associated with nuclear pattern ANAs. Um, Patients who have atherosclerotic disease and coronary artery disease are thought to sometimes have nuclear pattern ANAs, and that's not associated with an antiphospholipid antibody. And oh yes, antiphospholipid antibodies will sometimes give you a nuclear pattern ANA. So I'm not treating the ANA. I did do some investigations. I ordered a smooth muscle antibody and a, a mitochondrial antibody. I ordered hep, uh, hepatitis serologies. Um, I ordered something else. What did I order? TFTs. Well, I had an, anti, an anti-phospholipid panel with a RPR, DRVVT for a lupus anticoagulant and anticardiolipin antibodies. Again, I think she will have nothing, but I think you're obligated to Uh, When a red herring shows up, you have to decide whether it's worth pursuing or not. I think there's enough specificity to a nuclear pattern ANA and a high titer that I'm obliged to do some workup and follow the patient. That's it for this case. Tune into more QD videos.